Welcome to the... <laughs> no, 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 I can't do that. Let's try another one. Uh, how about this? <laughs> no, no, that won't work either. Let's try this. get on board with that. Let's roll with it. Welcome to the Begin the Begin podcast. My name is Jeff Hillemeyer, and I'm on a mission to find out what makes people tick. Not just anyone, people who are making a profound impact on the world. I want to dig into their origin story and get to the root of why and how they do what they do. I hope you are as inspired coming out of these conversations as I am. Let's get into it. David Cummings is one of Atlanta's great entrepreneurs. He's been a friend and business partner to me for over a dozen years, and his success is well-documented. In this episode, I wanted to dive into David's ability to focus and get things done. It's often overlooked in success, but the ability to execute a plan, to follow through, to be organized about your focus areas, these are things that I believe are required for success and really in anything in life. And no one does these things better than David. And hey, while I've got you, definitely consider subscribing to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. I have a lot of great guests lined up that, trust me, you won't want to miss. Okay, let's get into it. Well, I am joined today by my good friend and um, in some cases business partner, David Cummings. David, tell everybody who you are and what you do. Well, thanks, Jeff, for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I am your uh, prototypical entrepreneur, always looking for new ideas, new adventures. I've had the opportunity to start a bunch of companies over the past 20 years. Most have failed, but a couple have ex- have succeeded in extraordinary ways. And so that's part of the fun of entrepreneurship. It just takes one win, and then you can go off and do a whole bunch of other fun things. So in Atlanta, I have the Atlanta Tech Village, one of the largest tech entrepreneurship centers in the country. And so we work hard to help entrepreneurs increase their chance of success. And to date, the startups in the building and graduates of the building have raised over $1 billion of equity and created over 7,000 jobs in the region. Amazing. And I, I was fortunate to be um, a resident of the Tech Village in the early days of Dragon Army. And I know the power of it. In fact, so much so that you know you and I have been talking about this idea of of creating something similar for the nonprofit uh, leaders in the world. So I'm a huge fan of the Atlanta Tech Village. Yeah, and obviously in this time of COVID, it's crazy because you know the main power of the Tech Village is really the community and the serendipitous interactions, and you know it really helps me appreciate just what we had now that we haven't been able to have it for a number of months. And so I'm excited and eager to get back to some level of human interaction so we can resume some of those things that we had going so well at the tech village. Yeah, no, no doubt. No doubt. Um, so what I wanted to chat with you about today is, you know, ever since I've known you, um, I have thought of you as someone who was, um, very disciplined and focused on what you were doing and and focused on execution. Um, one of the things that, you know, my kids like to share their million dollar ideas with me all the time. 
Um, and while I, I work hard to, um, you know, hear them and not crush their <laughs> dreams, of course, but at the same time, I try to try to impress upon them that I believe there's no such thing as a million dollar idea. Um, there's, you know, there's execution that brings forth success, but like the idea that, Oh, I have an idea and I'm going to make a million dollars. I mean, you know, as well as anyone, that's, that's not how it works. You need to, you need to have a follow through and a discipline and, and having invested in lots of different companies. I'm just curious, like that has to be one of your sort of rallying cries is, is the ability to actually execute, right? So in the early days, you know, middle school and high school, I had in college, I had the luxury of just trying lots of things. So I tried a classified ad service. I tried sports card collectibles trading. I tried building websites, building shareware software. I tried a food delivery service. I tried a laundry pickup and delivery service. I tried a rating, you know, your professor website. So I felt like in my middle school to college days, I had the opportunity to try a number of things. And from trying those different ideas, in hindsight, it helped me really appreciate that the chance of those being successful was pretty slim because I wasn't really committed to following through to success, whatever that meant. And I was like, oh, I'll try this. And if it's great and exciting, I'll, I'll keep doing it. And if it fizzles out, then no big deal. So I didn't really have a level of commitment to it. And in hindsight, there really wasn't much success from it. So I think, you know, once I got into my later college years and I was ready to go all in on an idea, ready to go all in on content management software, I think that's really when it clicked that I needed to do one single thing. And so obviously I get in trouble for that nowadays because I have lots of things going on. But when I had lots of things going on, but not one successful thing, I was not successful. And then when I doubled down on one single thing, went really deep on it, was 100% committed to it, then I finally had something that worked. And then when that thing was successful, and many years later, in infrastructure and people and teams, then I started my next thing and the next thing and the next thing. So I made the mistake of thinking I could do a bunch in parallel. They all failed. I went all in on one. It succeeded. And then with that success, I could go back to parallel entrepreneurship. And I've been doing that ever since. So don't start yeah. there. But if you can get there, it's amazing. And I highly recommend it. Yeah, I, I love that. Um, and I love the idea that you start with sort of here's lots of things I tried that didn't work. Um, and, and probably the main reason they didn't is because of, you know, that you didn't follow through. Um, and now maybe they weren't all going to be multi-million dollar businesses, but you never know unless you really, really focus. But the thing that, the thing that I think stands out from you above other people I know though, is, is, is your ability to decide you're going to do something, um, and continue with it. And, and an example, you know, I like to, to use when I think about, um, your ability to do that is, um, blogging. Like there was a point where you said, here's the cadence. I mean, years ago, you're still producing content, but years ago you said, here's the cadence and I'm going to stick with it. Can you talk to me about what that was and how long you stuck with it? Sure. So the genesis there was, I love writing code. And so when you write code, as you know, back in the day, there's a sense of satisfaction. It's like, oh, I needed to build this web page or I needed to design this feature. And so you go and you spend 10 hours on it and voila, you have something to show the world. And so as the companies I was involved in, as they grew and matured, me writing code would actually slow things down. I had to go work on sales or marketing or HR or whatever the 
most pressing issue was. And so I wasn't able to stay fully engaged on the software development side. And so I had this missing feeling of a sense of satisfaction that I put my mind to it and I produced something and I released it to the world or to the development team or to customers. And so really it was after the first year of Pardot, the business was still in its infancy, but it was taking off really nicely. We had a couple amazing programmers. We had a handful of customers and I was just not gonna be a productive programmer anymore, dividing my time amongst a number of different roles. And so around that time, I had seen a number of other bloggers write daily blogs or weekly blogs. And so I had written a few blog posts and took a little bit of time off and then wrote a few blog posts. And then finally I said, I'm doing this. I'm gonna scratch my itch of producing something that people can see every single day and I said, okay, I'm just going to write a blog post every single day. And so 3,000 days in a row, I wrote a blog post. 3,000 days in a row. Christmas Day, the birth of my children's day, you know, my birthday, every single day for 3,000 days in a row. And it's all online. So you can see everything. And it's fun you know, to go back and read it. Some of it's diary type stuff. Most of it's just learnings and observations and things that I picked up on in the world. And so for me, you know, looking back on it, I'm really proud that I did it and I'm proud that it's documented and, you know, it was a way to scratch an itch. And one of those things that we all hear, like, you know, it takes 30 days for a habit to form. And so once I had the habit formed, I couldn't break the streak. But then after 3000 days, I was like, all right, I proved the point that I didn't break the streak. I'm done. Right. So I just sailed off in the sunset and it was, it was all over. And did you have a specific time of day every day that you would try to sit down and pump that out? Usually I would do it after the kids went to bed at night. And then if I was going out or I was on vacation or whatnot, I would try to stack them up in advance. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Um, and so where does that drive? Like that's, you must, you must know that's sort of supernatural <laughs> what you just described. Like, I think that's going to be hard for many people to really relate to it. Um, that, and again, that's one of the things I've found about you is like, you put your mind to it and you just do it. Um, was that always as I know you bounce around from businesses and stuff, but like, did you do that as a kid or did you get that from your parents? Where did that come from? Good question. I think, you know, I've always had this bias towards action. The thing that I'm good at is seeing an idea, making a decision quickly, running with it. And then I don't get attached to it such that I need to see it through to fruition. And so I know that sounds kind of weird. So another way to say it is I'm really good at starting things and I'm really bad at finishing that last 20, 30% of things. And so for me in the blogging context, sitting down for 45 minutes every single day, literally for 3000 days in a row, I could just do it. It was 45 minutes and I was done and I could hit publish and the world would see what I thought about that day. When it comes to bigger ideas like businesses, I really need a counterparty. I really need a person to partner with that likes taking it further, that likes taking it to completion. And thinking about my upbringing and family and whatnot, you know, my parents both worked really hard, both went to college and had both had graduate degrees. And my dad is a super hard worker. So I think just growing up seeing that you know, example of somebody who 
loves working hard, whether it's in the garden, whether it's seeing patients in the office. And so really, I'm sure it was a, a nature and nurture combination. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I do wonder if you were to, and, and you're one of the most humble people that I know, especially considering the things that you've done, but I'm going to ask you if you were to list out like your three, three qualities about yourself that you're, you're happiest about, or that you're most proud of is one of them, your ability to be productive and focused, or does that not normally something you think about yourself that's exceptional? I don't think of it, about it as productive and focused. The things that I would characterize, one would be coming up with random ideas, you know, so many ideas, and then curating and filtering them down to, you know, a smaller, more manageable number, and then working really hard to find other people that I might be able to partner with on those ideas. So a combination of ideation and people matching gets me really excited and something I'm passionate about. And related to that, another area that gets me really excited is believing that I can see around corners a little bit, especially when it comes to trends or where the world's headed or what should exist in the world that doesn't already exist in the world. So this belief that I can have a, a pretty good gut check that, yeah, five years from now, this thing should be in existence and it should be commonplace. So that gets me excited, a little bit trends and futurist, futurism type thinking. And then I would say just a level of, I would call it business fearlessness. So in the real world, I'm very risk averse. But on the business side, I love taking risks. So I don't know what that is. You know, if I had to summarize it from a trying to be rational and, you know, trying to think about it from sort of a first principles perspective, I would characterize it as in the business world, whether it's starting a new company or taking a risk, you know, what's the worst that could happen? The vast majority of decisions out there and ideas out there are reversible. If you do it and it doesn't work, you just stop doing it rarely is there an idea that's like, if I go down that path, there's no going back. And so for me, again, from that rational point of view, another way to think about it would be something regarding what's your weighted average expectation here, right? So I could do this and if it works, the reward might be a hundred X the effort to do it. And so sure, I want to take that bet or here the reward is just not worth it. And so I think that gut check on What's the weighted average sort of expected outcome for taking this risk? So those are three things that get me excited mm -hmm. from a personality perspective that are in the business world. Yeah, no, and I, and I see that and I've seen you do those things. And especially the first thing you mentioned of matching ideas with, with leaders. But again, I go back to every leader that I know of that's running a company that you're connected to that you helped sort of put that together um, or maybe even wrote the first check. Those are all like people would look at those leaders and say, um, you know, they've got great vision, they can build a great culture, all these things. But I also know, because I know most of them, they're, they, they execute. Um, you know, one of them, I remember talking early on and they showed me the, the email they send to their company every Sunday night. Mm -hmm. It was this long, thorough and every, and it, you know, it was like you said, if it's Christmas, I'm doing it on Christmas. Like this is what I do. So somehow you've been able to find that quality in people. And I'm not sure if 
if it was surface level for you, like you saw it and saw that as part of yourself as well, but, but I see it. Yeah. I think, you know, in hindsight, everything's easy to have some revisionist history on. I think for a number of the leaders that I've had the opportunity to work with, there was an element of believing in them more than they believed in themselves at that point in time. And so I saw a lot of myself in them. And typically, you know, I was a few years ahead of them in terms of doing some different entrepreneurial things. So I saw what the world looked like as an entrepreneur. I saw a little bit of myself in them and then really just believed in them and did whatever I could to help them be successful. And so the results so far have been greater than my wildest dreams in terms of success. So it's, it's been a great run. Yeah. And I, I get the feeling you're just getting started. So it's, it's exciting to be a part of it and, and to be uh, <laughs> watching it. Um, all right. So let me dig in a little more though on like how you stay focused and productive. Um, like, are you an inbox zero person? Yes, absolutely. And have been okay. for decades. When- First thing in the morning, when when do you do that? Um, I have a process very similar to the getting things done. And I'm a big fan of the snooze button in Gmail. You can get aftermarket add-ons to do it in other email programs. But I'm a huge fan of, all right, I'm going to send this email to the person and I'm going to hit snooze. Or I read this email and I don't need to deal with it during the weekdays. I'm going to snooze it until Saturday and deal with sort of administrivia type stuff on the weekend. So inbox zero and lots of use of the snooze button. Yeah, uh, me too. I, I love it. One of the things that I do as well with my calendar is um, I color code my calendar based on the different type of activities. And maybe there's four, I think, um, and four different categories. But it allows me to see the week at a glance and see, oh, I'm spending way too much time over this month or this week in this one area. I need to make sure that I'm focused in different places. Do you do anything interesting with your calendar? I do. I love the color coding. I specifically do it on any recurring events. So maybe it's one-on-ones with my direct reports. Maybe it's the weekly rotary meeting. And so color coding, anything that's recurring. And in my mind, recurring means important, but it fits a different bucket. It's sort of like being on cruise control for those elements of the week. And then the ones that aren't color coded that way, it's more of something that's one-off, whether it's a brainstorming session or a call with an entrepreneur. And so color coding recurring versus non-recurring has been really beneficial to me. What would you guess percentage of your time each week is recurring? Is it like 10 hours of recurring each week? Six, six hours a week of recurring. Okay. And then maybe another six to 10 hours a week of things on the calendar. And then the vast majority of the week is wide open. Week in and week out. Do you, and do you purposefully have openings in your calendar? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, if things get busy, I'll go into the calendar and I'll block off certain times of the day and times of the week in advance. Like say we're doing a deal. So, you know, we were very fortunate. We were able to sell one of the companies a couple of weeks ago and it was an amazing outcome. And so the period leading up to that, there were quite a number of phone calls and emails and activities going on. And so by having that relatively empty calendar, I had a tremendous amount of flexibility as we work through some of the different parts of the sale of the business. 
What about uh, to-do lists or task managers or anything like that? I do the notes app on my iPhone and that's it. So Keep how it do you, what, what, do you, what is your, do you have one note that's your like to-dos with check marks or is each note a, an actionable thing? How do you do it? Each note is an actionable thing. The notes that are on my iPhone are more my casual to-do items. My high priority to-do items, I always send an email to myself. And so my inbox is my high priority to-do list. And then my low priority to-do list is the notes app on my iPhone. Gotcha. So it's very loose, but it works. Yeah. Especially having <laughs> the high like, priority ones. I don't, you know, I don't miss out on the ones I email yeah. myself. And that's maybe that, maybe once a day, once every other day, I email myself a to-do item. So it's not like I have a ton of high priority things, but it's pretty steady. Yeah. Um, I, I find like if it's in my email, I'm going to do it. And exactly. so um, one of the things that, that was tougher for me using Slack, because all my companies use Slack and Same here. Um, it's great, but I've had to tell some of my, some of the people I work more closely with, like, look, when you need me to like definitely review a document or whatever, like it needs to go to email because that's how exactly. I'm 100% going to see it. Like I, I never miss it. I've had that exact same conversation many times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Slack's great. I mean, the amount of emails I get has probably dropped by 90%. It has. Once it's been Slack, but it does have that, uh, that loophole. Okay. So you're using notes. It's pretty loose, um, but you're emailing yourself. Which it's, makes it's loose in the sense that I don't have like five tiers of priority levels and I don't have a bunch of different systems that are all synced into it, but it's strict in that nothing falls through the cracks. Mm-hmm. So it's, I feel like it's an efficient system, but it has enough flexibility that I don't feel like it inhibits the way I like to work. I don't feel like it has much friction or overhead. Did you, did you ever use a proper task manager? Never. Okay. Yeah. There's it. You can, you can absolutely get lost in prioritizing and categorizing and all the things that go, go with it. And you, f- you realize that you're spending more time organizing your to-do list than you're actually doing your to-do list. Yes, exactly. But I've, you know, I've read the book, Getting Things Done. I, I really like the ideas in there. You know, the first pass and handle it. If you can handle it in less than a minute, do it. If you can't, then put it somewhere. So I'm a fan of it. Talk to me about, uh, recently you were sharing, um, I think, uh, so by the way, finishing up on your blogging. So now it seems to me you're putting out a, a weekly email, um, I guess blogs, blog post slash email. That's, that's what you're on now, right? I am. Yes. Yeah. So I do one a week and I've done that for several years now. And the idea with the one a week is to maintain some muscle around pushing content out to the world. I'm a big fan of this idea of learning in public. And so learning in public is just, I learned something. Let me tell the world what I learned. And you can tell me if I'm wrong. You can tell me if it was a good observation. You can tell me if it was a waste of time observation. And so I'm a fan of learning in public. And for me, the best way to do it is put three, four, five paragraphs down in a blog post once a week and just make sure that I'm producing something and continuing to exercise that muscle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, everyone should subscribe. Um, I, uh, I definitely do. And I, and I love them. I usually send at least one, at least every weekend I'll send the one to a certain person. I'm like, they need to read this. So I think you do a really good job with that. Oh, good. I appreciate it. Um, all right. So talk to me for a second about systems. 
Um, you, you have a philosophy. I don't know if it's new. It's new for me reading you, you, uh, your posts about it and talking to you about it, but talk to me about systems versus maybe goals. So early in my career, I was all about goals, goals in family and personal and business. And over time, through luck and through timing and through hard work, I was able to exceed those goals. And so I'd constantly spend years doing something. So one of my early goals as an entrepreneur was I wanted to get a company on the Inc. 500. So Inc. Magazine publishes a list of the 500 fastest growing private companies in America every year. And so I read that magazine as a kid and I thought, man, it would be great. I want to be on the Inc. 500. I want to have one of the fastest growing 500 private companies in America. And so lo and behold, at age 27, I hit one of my big life goals. And so that helped start the process of thinking, well, whatever goals that we had, especially in the part out business, which performed so well for so long, you know, the growth and the market and the timing, everything was just so phenomenal for the, the part out business that it really got me thinking, you know, is there a better way? Is there a, a better approach to this? During the part out business experience, I spent a, a bunch of time in sales and marketing. And on the sales side, we would always debate, we want to be a results-only work environment. We want to have goals for our team members. And if they hit the goal, then they can do whatever they want. And if they don't hit the goal, then they're going to get you know, more extensive coaching and feedback. And so on the sales side, at first it was, well, here's your quota you should hit. And the quota, as we all know, that have been in sales, you know, there's ups and downs and some people get better territories or certain times of the year might be better. And so we got to thinking, let's just break it out into the atomic level. So you either hit quota, yes or no. If no, then what are the activities that we believe will increase your chance of hitting quota? And so activities are things completely within your control. So activities would be numbers of emails sent, number of cold calls made, number of proposals potentially, number of demos delivered, number of LinkedIn in messages sent. So thinking about it from a decision tree, did you hit quota, yes or no? If yes, do whatever you want, no management at all. We're here to help and coach, but if you wanna be a lone wolf, great. If you wanna get more involved, great. If you don't hit quota, then here are the activities that are completely within your control that we believe will increase your chance of hitting quota. And so that whole process combined with the Inc. 500 life goal example got me thinking more about what's in our control that if we do, like writing a blog post once a day or once a week, or making 50 phone calls, or making 50 emails, in a day or in a week. And so over time, I gravitated towards this idea of, I want systems, I want processes to follow. And the processes, the systems are set up that they'll produce good outcomes, whatever that means. Maybe it's growing revenue, maybe it's developing relationships, maybe it's shipping a product that customers love. And so over time, my thinking, evolved, especially as I hit different goals, whether it was Inc. 500 or personal financial goals or success of business goals, this idea of having systems, not goals, has really resonated with me. 
And so now as an example, one of my systems is to write a blog post once a week. And that's a an activity that's completely within my control. And the benefit of that from a goal perspective long-term is to meet new people, is to share lessons learned with other entrepreneurs. And so for me, this idea of systems, not goals, with the most important point being within the system, it has to be things you can control. I can control number of cold calls I make. I can control number of emails I send. I can control number of blog posts I publish. And those systems should lead to whatever the goals you would normally have would be. But whereas a goal, you might say, I want to sell a million dollars this quarter. Well, some of that's in your control, but hitting it for sure is not in your control. What things within that desired outcome are in your control and make those your system. And then whatever happens, happens in terms of the outcomes. Are you taking that philosophy and applying it also to your personal life? I am. Yeah. And I did this before and I published some blog posts on it. Things around no more than X number of days of travel per quarter, as an example. Now in the time of pandemic, it's a non-issue, but before I was traveling a lot. And so I wanted to make sure that I was at home. I wanted to make sure that I was at the dinner table with my kids at least five nights a week. And again, during a pandemic, you know, it's, it's not hard at all, but pre-pandemic, you know, that was a, a strict thing within my control. And so people would say, hey, let's go on this trip or, hey, let's go to this dinner. And if I was already booked to be not having dinner with my family two nights that week, then I would just say, no, look, it, my system is I can only miss two nights a week and I'm already booked. And so I just had to say no. And that system made it really easy. Here's what I'm going to do with my spouse. Here's what I'm going to do with my family. Here's what I'm going to do with my business. And again, they were all within my control. And if something deviated from that system, I could just say no to it. And so it actually made it really easy to say no, which is, I'm sure, something that you have a lot of thoughts on, because as things progress in life in a good way, the number of requests increases commensurately. Mm -hmm. No doubt about it. And, and, um, the more you're responsible for companies, for fam for things, for your kids, the more you realize that you've got to focus more on the important things. So I, I, I love that. I love how you think about it, like with family um, and, uh, you know, putting those systems in place to really pr to protect the important things in your life. Exactly. And so the systems, the processes, some people, you know, think it's pretty rigid, right? I've been accused of being a, quote, startup robot many times. <laughs> and I think the thing that people miss when they think startup robot is that by having that system, by having that process, it actually sets me free. I don't have to think. And so for me, it just makes life so much easier. Here's what I'm going to do. Here are the systems I'm going to follow. Here are the outcomes I hope for. And I'm going to do my best. But most things in life I can't control. And so I'm going to double down on the things I can control. Yeah, I love it. Um, okay, so my my last uh, round of questions is around books. Um, one of the things that I'll be forever grateful for you is, is um, either introducing to me or at least impressing upon me um, Patrick Lencioni. Yes. Uh, I love his books, right? He's Fantastic. great. So, um, and now I'm a, you know, a, a student of, of his books. I love them. So, um, I love talking about sort of what 
you know, or, or learning what you're reading now. So what are you reading now? So I'm a huge fan of snacking on books. Snacking on books means anytime anybody recommends a book, whether it's a conversation like this or an email or website or podcast or a friend or anything, I'll go look on Amazon. If that book has, you know, at least 200 reviews and at least four and a half stars, I'll just buy it. No questions asked. So I have hundreds of books on my Kindle. I have the physical Kindle reader, not my iPhone. And so I keep the physical Kindle reader next to my bed and I keep the iPhone at the other end of the house. So iPhone never in the bedroom. And so on my Kindle, I have tons and tons and tons of books. And the snacking side is typically three to six different books that I'm in the process of reading and it's always rotating. And so when I go for my 45 minutes of reading every night, I'll pick whatever one is of interest to me at that specific moment in time. And so some of the ones that I'm snacking on right now, one is A Gentleman in Moscow, just a fun story about this guy who lives in a hotel in Moscow during changing times, and he literally can't leave a hotel. And he lives there for 50 years, and it's just a great story. Right now, I'm reading a book called The Perfect Store. And so it's from the year 2000 or 1999, and it's all about eBay and the founding story and the characters and how things, you know, had high highs and low lows. And it's just fascinating. And it's called The Perfect Store. For the entrepreneur recommendation, if I was to recommend one book to entrepreneurs, it would have to be Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. I mm-hmm. think that book, better than any other just entrepreneurial storytelling, it just captures the highs and lows. And these famous successful businesses like Nike didn't start out that way, didn't even start out wanting to be that way. And I think it just really captures how the entrepreneurial journey really is unknown. And in hindsight, it looks like, oh, he or she was just a, a mastermind and just had amazing foresight in the world. And the reality is it's not that way at all. Every successful entrepreneur I know did not set out saying, I'm going to take over the world. Every successful entrepreneur I know, every single one on the product side, the product that they ultimately achieve success with is not the product that they started with. Every single one pivots. Hand and Hill pivoted, Pardot pivoted, Sales Loft pivoted, every single one pivots from their first business idea. And so I think Shoe Dog just captures it the best of any of the stories that I've read of the entrepreneurial journey. I couldn't agree more. I love that book. And I'm not even sure he wrote it to have people say what you just said about it. Um, I didn't get that sense when I read it. It was just such an entrepreneurship story. Have Have you read, I'll give you one to maybe snack on if you haven't read it, Bob Iger's book, The Ride of a Lifetime? Yes, I read it cover to cover. Oh, so Amazing. Good. Such great stories in there. And again, the same idea, like he didn't set out to be the CEO of Walt Disney for decades, right? But he did a little of this and he got his foot in the door there and he moved from New York to LA and did a little of this and then at the end made a huge bet on buying Marvel and a huge bet on mm-hmm. Star Wars and a huge bet on streaming. And now he's going to go down in history as one of the greatest CEOs of all time. Unbelievable. 
unbelievable. The Disney we know today, you think about the things that he like Pixar, like all that stuff wouldn't, you know, it would be such a different company. So yeah, that's a great one. All right. Last question. Do you have a favorite book of all time? I do not, but I love snacking no. on books. <laughs> okay. Um, well then since, since you don't have one, what, um, you don't, so you don't use that service. Um, what's the service where you can get like the 15 minute recaps of the books? I know you're talking um, about like, like the, um, what's it's it called? An app or something. Yeah. I've yeah. seen the ads for it. Okay. Not that you, you want the full book in case you want to go deeper and jump around. I like the full book because if it's worth reading, I want to marinate on what's being said while I'm reading it. I don't want the, the Cliff's Notes equivalent of it. I want to get deep in it and I want to just soak up whatever it is to, to be said. And because of that, I'm more interested in stories about entrepreneurs and I love biographies and autobiographies. A lot of the business books out there, as we know, you read the first chapter, the last chapter, and nine times out of 10, you have everything you need to know from it. So my preference is more around storytelling in the entrepreneur context. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, um, I can't thank you enough for chatting. Um, we do it often, but it was fun to record it. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for having dig me. Into, yeah. Dig into a little more of, of how you're, you're doing what you're doing. Um, remind me, but tell everybody, um, your, your sort of big goal. I know, um, it, it, it was 10,000 jobs, um, created at one point. I think it's evolved a little bit from that. What's your, what's your rally? Yeah, so we're at 7,000 jobs right now with the Tech Village counting direct and indirect. And so there's different studies out there. Roughly for every one tech job, and a tech job is a job where you're exporting whatever it is that the company makes outside the region, right? So if you have a programmer and they're building a software product and that product sold all around the country, you're exporting that product from outside of your city or state to the country or even the world. So roughly two indirect jobs are creating for one direct job. So before our goal was to do 10,000 jobs inclusive of indirect, we've had so much success now that we're working towards creating 10,000 direct jobs, which will translate into 30,000 total jobs. And so we're well on our way and you know, knock on wood, if, if things keep going the way they are, we feel real strongly that we'll be able to hit that. Amazing. Amazing. Well, that's a goal worth pursuing. So we'll, uh, we'll see how we can help, but thanks again for chatting, David. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Wow. You made it to the end of the podcast. I didn't think people did that anymore. Well, since I still have you, I'd love for you to do two things. First, subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. That way you'll be alerted as soon as I post my next one. And second, I'd love for you to subscribe to my email newsletter. I send out an email every week or two, and it's really where I share my more personal thoughts and ideas. Plus, I give stuff away sometimes. You can find the sign up at my blog, jeffhillemeyer.com, and I really do appreciate you listening. <laughs>